Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Ministries podcast. Well, I hope you had an awesome time yesterday. Got to thinking about the fact that I think my very first podcast must have been about a year ago because it was about Resurrection Day or Easter, where I talked about the fact that we changed the holidays in our church, that Christmas was Incarnation Day, Easter is Resurrection Day, and Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, is Invasion Day. But anyway, happy Resurrection Day to all of you, and I hope it was a really good time and a wonderful time celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. One of the things that I've noticed over the years, and I think is partly what got me fired up about talking about this last year, is a lot of pastors seem to feel compelled, and I get it at some level, feel compelled to not preach on the resurrection specifically because, well, that's what gets talked about every Easter, so let's try to mix it up a little bit. But you may have been in a service like that yesterday, and so I thought for those of you who are listening for the first time or have just joined us at First Love Ministry Podcast, I would say something about Resurrection Day again, and just to highlight why I think it's so, so, so important. Resurrection wasn't common news. Think about it, folks. When have you ever heard a story about somebody being resurrected? Generally, if you hear any kind of story that's even similar to that, it's about ghosts. Or in the last decade or so, we hear a lot about zombies who really aren't very resurrected. They're quite, what, walking dead. So just the fact that there is this historic event, we believe that to be so, that some human being was resurrected would be amazing news in and of itself. But it's not just that any human being was resurrected. It's the fact that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, was resurrected. And the news isn't so much about just simply that, again, he came alive after being dead, but it's more about what it means for you and for me. What difference does it make that this Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead? Well, primarily, it has everything to do with what Jesus said and did has everything to do with his claims that he was more than just a man. Now, we know, especially from the Christmas story, that yes, he was conceived by the Spirit, but he was born a man. He was born of Mary. He was fully human and yet somehow fully God. But the more extraordinary aspect of what Jesus came to do, or or really it's it's the claims of Jesus that is what's extraordinary, Yes, born a man, born of Mary, but it's his claims. This man claimed that he came from or was sent from God. I actually went back and found one of my original Bibles when I first taught through the Gospel of John when I was, I don't know, 23, 24 years old. I went back and checked it this morning and saw that there are 45 times that I could count. I, I, there might be more. I may have missed one or two. But 45 times in John's gospel where Jesus himself says that he came from God or that he was sent from God and would return. In other words, Jesus isn't just a man born like all the rest of us through a man and a woman and are fully human. That's where we came from. We came from our mother's womb and from conception between father and mother. Jesus says he came from God. He was sent from God. Why was he sent? 
Well, he says that he came to reveal God, to make him known, that we would see the Father. John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Remember when he's speaking to Thomas and to the disciples, to Philip, when they say, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came from God, sent from God to reveal God to us. And even as John says here in this text, in John 1.18, he says, who is himself God? That's not just John's idea. Jesus himself stated that that was true. In John 10.30, he says that he and the Father were one, and at such a statement, people were ready to stone him. Or in John 8.58, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And again, they were ready to stone him because he was making a reference that he was God, using God's own name, I am. So, he came from God to reveal God even as God in the flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas as Incarnation Day. God became a man so that we could see him and experience him. Well, in addition, Jesus said that everything he said was only what the Father told him. In John 12, 49 to 50, he said, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me, there it is, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. So, whatever I say, is just what the Father has told me to say. Think about that. Jesus is saying everything that's in the Gospels, God commanded him, God told him what to say. They are the words of God. That is an amazing claim. And then even he said that in John chapter 5, I think 17, he says that the Father is always working and that he himself is working. And that he said he could do nothing on his own that he was doing and could only do what the Father was showing him and what the Father was doing. So, even Jesus' actions, he says, are the actions of God. Well, finally, at some level, most importantly in terms of this past weekend, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In John 10, he said that he laid down his life. No one took it from him, but that he lays down his life for the sheep, only to take it up again. But it was volunteer, even after this past Holy Week and as we've reviewed the story again. Jesus was not crucified as a tragic heir of injustice. Jesus knew. He went to the city to die. He knew that he was going to die. He handed himself over. And even to Pilate says, this couldn't happen if it weren't for the Father's control. But remember, I talked about this last week, John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world as, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Matthew's version of the Last Supper, when Jesus takes the cup, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus claimed that he was dying as a ransom, as the Lamb of God, to take away sins. That he was dying for our crimes. He was dying the penalty that we were supposed to pay in order to make things right between us and God. These are amazing claims. 
came from, sent from God, that he is God, came to reveal God, spoke and did only what God said and what God was doing, and most importantly, that the death that he died, unlike any other human death, people die because that's the consequence of the fall in our lives, and every human being that's ever died has stayed dead. Jesus says, I am dying not for my own sin. I am dying for you. I am dying in your stead. Well, here's the question. If Jesus isn't raised, what would that mean? Well, Paul asked that question. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He continues, actually, in verse 17 and says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See, go back to verse 15. He says, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, the dead are not raised, he says. Now, just hang in there with me. I'm sure you heard it yesterday. (laughs) Guys, if Jesus is not raised then that means that he died for his own sin, just like all the rest of us, that he really was human, and that he would have had to stay dead because he died for his own sins. If he had sin, he would have to stay dead and pay for his own sin, but he claimed that he was without sin and that he was taking on our sin. Which, by the way, too, I don't know if I've said this at some point, but I've often wondered the fact that Jesus had to be fully God and fully man is that he has to be fully man to suffer our full human death and suffering and penalty. But only God could die for us as the Lamb of God, where a human being, Peter and I, we we could die for one of you, perhaps, and take your place. But one of us could never die for everybody. Only God could do that. Only God, only God in Christ as the Lamb of God could die for the sin of the whole world. The bottom line is, if he is not raised, then he wasn't dying for our sins. And we're still in our sins. And of course, the other thing is, C.S. Lewis said many, many years ago, this would make Jesus a liar or a lunatic and not Lord. All of his claims would be lies. What he said he came to do would be a lie. You could not trust anything that he said, and especially that somehow, some way, he was going to help us with our sins. But if he's raised, this is why we've got to call it Resurrection Day. If he is raised, friends, it means it's all true. It's all true. Why? Because God would not have raised a liar. He would not have raised a fraud. He would not have raised a lunatic. By raising Jesus, God said yes to everything about Jesus, everything that he said and did, and most importantly, he says yes that Jesus did in fact die our death for our sake. And therefore, when God accepted the sacrifice, the sacrifice of atonement, and forgave the sins, death could no longer hold Jesus because he was there for us. And when the Father accepted the sacrifice and forgave the sin, 
death had no hold, the devil had no hold, and God raised him from the dead. Our sins are gone. The debt's forgiven, and we can be reconciled. You know, sometimes people want to refer to Jesus as perhaps a prophet or a great teacher. I'm telling you folks, Resurrection Day and everything that Jesus claimed and said and did, it's not possible to limit him to a prophet or a teacher. And most importantly, if that's the case, then who cares about that he died or rose? Then it's just great teaching like some other great teacher. But it matters that he died and that he rose because without it, all of his claims would be nullified and most of all his claim to die for us would be untrue. Well, finally, proof. Proof. Isn't this really the main thing is people want proof? Well, there's all kinds of wonderful historical proof about Jesus and the death and the resurrection, so many things. But the first and primary proof is the disciples themselves who say they are eyewitnesses. Well, again, we could say, well, I suppose they lied. But here's the deal. Consider the persecution that they all suffered. Do you think they would undergo that kind of persecution for a hoax, for a lie? What did they have to gain? All their suffering, where would their hope have come from? Where would their energy have come from? Where would their joy have come from? Where would their desire to testify and be persecuted for it come from if it weren't true? Well, of course, God continues to testify to the resurrection himself. In Acts 4.33, it says, With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. In other words, all the ongoing powerful miracles that God did in Jesus' name is God giving witness and testimony, confirmation and affirmation to the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you remember that great moment in Acts 3.6 when the guys go to temple and see the crippled guy there and say, silver and gold, we don't have what we do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Do you think God would have honored that statement if Jesus were not raised, if Jesus were not the truth? Well, then comes the Spirit, which is 50 days from now, but in terms of the story, especially in Acts, the Spirit has come, and the Spirit's another witness where he says, in Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I mean, really, in that little paragraph, you have all the witnesses. God is a witness. They are witnesses. And the Holy Spirit is a witness. And I guess in the end, all the years that I would preach on Resurrection Day, this was always one of my most favorite things to say, is that you and I who've believed in the Lord Jesus, we're the ones ultimately who are the witnesses. Because think about it. Remember when you believed. Remember 1 John 1.9, he says, when you confessed your sins, I, your Lord, was faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness. Friends, you remember that day? 
You remember that first time, that first moment of awareness that you were forgiven, that you were purified, that you were cleansed? It is an experience. It's not just a fact, a truth. It's experience. To be cleansed, to be purified, to be washed, to be forgiven. But the other one is in Romans 8, 16, where Paul says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, I hope you've had that moment in your soul where when you received the Holy Spirit, you had that witness with the Spirit, confirmation with the Spirit, Paul says. The Spirit lets your spirit know that you are his child, that you are forgiven, that Jesus is real and alive, and God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit love us. Oh my goodness, we're the ultimate witnesses. All of this wouldn't be possible If Jesus were not raised, we would have nothing. Our hope would be futile. Our preaching would be futile. Our faith would be futile. Life would be futile. We would still be stuck in our sins, especially without any hope about death. Well, I hope it hasn't been too repetitive from what you heard yesterday. Even if it is, it's just so much fun to talk about. I hope that it's blessed your heart today. Love you. God bless. Until next time, have a great day. Hey, just a quick reminder, this Saturday, April 22nd from 7 to 9 o'clock at the Abundant Life Church, Peter and I are going to be leading a time of worship and ministry. We've called it Beloved, Come and Be Loved, where when we do this, it's really about coming to experience the love of Jesus and to share that love with one another through music and through ministry. So we hope you'll come and join us, and we look forward to having a great time together with Jesus. God bless.